Chapter 17 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Royal Clock Repairer In the Hall of the Clocks in Versailles Palace, a pink-cheeked and meek-eyed young gentleman was walking about with a somewhat vulgar step. His arms were pendant and his head sunk forward. He was in his seventeenth year. He was recognizable as the king's heir by being the living image of the Bourbon race most exaggerated. Louis Auguste, Duke of Berry, and heir to the throne as the Dauphin, soon wearied of his lounge and stopped to gaze with an air of one who understood horology on the great clock in the back of the hall. It was a universal machine which told of time to the century, with the lunar phases and the courses of the planets, and was always the prince's admiration. Suddenly, the hands on which his eyes were fastened came to a standstill. A grain of sand had checked the mechanism, and the masterpiece was dead. On seeing this misfortune, the royal one forgot what he had come to do. He opened the clock-case, glazed door, and put his head inside to see what was the matter. All at once he uttered a cry of joy, for he had spied a screw loose, of which the head had worked up and caught another part of the machinery, and with a tortoise-shell pick in one hand, and holding the wheel with the other, he began to fix the screw with his head in the box. Thus absorbed, he never heard the usher at the door cry out, "'The king!' Louis was some time glancing about before he spied the prince's legs as he stood half-eclipsed before the clock. "'What the deuce are you doing there?' he asked as he tapped his son on the shoulder. The amateur clockmaker drew himself out with the proper precautions for so noble a timepiece. "'Oh, your majesty, I was just killing time while you were not present.' "'By murdering my clock? Pretty amusement!' "'Oh, no, only setting it to rights. A screw was loose, and—' "'Never mind mechanics. What do you want of me?' I am eager to be off to Marley. He started for the door, always trying to avoid awkward situations. Is it money you are after? I will send you some. Nay, I have savings out of my last quarter's money. What a miser, and yet a spendthrift was his tutor. I believe he has all the virtues missing in me. Sire, is not the bride near at hand yet? Your bride? I should say fifty leagues off. Are you in a hurry? The Prince Royal blushed. I am not eager for the motive you think. No? So much the worse. Hang it all. You are sixteen, and the princess very pretty. You are warranted in being impatient. Cannot the ceremonies be curtailed, for at this rate she will be an age coming? I don't think the traveling arrangements are well made. The mischief! Thirty thousand horses placed along the route, with men and carts and coaches. How can you believe there is bad management when I have made all these arrangements? Sire, in spite of these, I am bound to say that I think— as in the case of your clock, there is a screw loose. The progress has been right royally arranged, but did your majesty make it fully understood 
that all the horses, men, and vehicles were to be employed by the Dauphiness? A vague suspicion annoyed the monarch, who looked hard at his heir. This suggestion agreed with another idea fretting him. Certainly, he replied. Of course you are satisfied, then. The bride will arrive on time, and she is properly attended to. You are rich with your savings, and you can wind up my clock and set it going again. I have a good mind to appoint you clockmaker extraordinary to the royal household, do you hear? And laughing, he was going to snatch the opportunity to slip away, when as he opened the door he faced a man on the sill. Louis drew back a step. Choiseul! he exclaimed. I had forgotten she was to send him to me. Never mind, he shall pay for my son irritating me. So, you have come, my lord. You heard I wanted you. Yes, sire, replied the prime minister coldly. I was dressing to come anyway. Good. I have serious matters to discuss, said the sovereign, frowning to intimidate the minister, who was unfortunately the hardest man to browbeat in the kingdom. Very serious matters I have to discuss, too, he replied with a glance for the Dauphine, who was skulking behind the clock. Oh, thought the king, my son is my foe, too. I am in a triangle with woman, minister, and son, and cannot escape. I come to say that the Viscount Jean was nearly murdered in an ambush. Nay, that he was wounded in the forearm in a duel. I know it perfectly. So do I, and I will tell you the true story. We listen, responded Choiseul, for the prince is concerned in the affray, so far as it was on account of the Dauphiness. The Dauphiness and Jean du Berret in some way connected? questioned the king. This is getting curious. Bray, explain, my lord, and conceal nothing. Was it the princess who gave the sword-thrust to Duperry? Not her highness, but one of the officers of her escort, replied Choiseul, as calm as ever. One whom you know? No, sire, but your majesty ought to know him, if your majesty remembers all his old servants, for his father fought for you at Fontenoy, Philipsburg and Mahon. He is Tavernay Redcastle. The Dauphine mutely repeated the title to engrave it on his mind. Certainly. I know the Redcastles, returned Louis. Why did he fight against Jean, whom I like? Unless because I like him? Absurd jealousy, outbreaks of discontent, and... Partial sedition. Does the defender of the royal princess deserve this reproach? said the duke. I must say, said the prince, rising erect and folding his arms, I am grateful to the young gentleman who risked his life for a lady who will shortly be my wife.
"'What did he risk his life for?' queried the king. "'Because the Chevalier Jean, in a hurry, "'wanted to take the horses set aside by your majesty for the royal bride.' The king bit his lips and changed color, for the new way of presenting the case was again a menacing phantom. Yes, Chevalier du Barry was putting the insult on the royal house of taking the reserved royal horses, when up came the Chevalier Redcastle, sent onward by her highness, and after much civil remonstrance. Oh! protested the king. Civil? A military man? It was so, interposed the Dauphine. I have been fully informed. Du Barry whipped out his sword. Was he the first to draw? demanded the king. The prince blushed and looked to Choiseul for support. The fact is, the two crossed swords, the latter hastened to say, one having insulted the lady the other defending her and your majesty's property. But who was the aggressor? For Jean is mild as a lamb, said the monarch, glad that things were getting equalized. The officer must have been Malapere. Impertinent to a man who was dragging away the horses reserved for your majesty's destined daughter exclaimed Choiseul, is this possible? Hasty, anyway, said the king as the Dauphine stood pale without a word. A zealous servitor can never do wrong, remarked the duke, receding a step. Come, now, how did you get the news? asked the king of his son, without losing sight of the minister who was troubled by this abrupt question. "'I had an advice from one who was offended by the insult to the lady of my choice.' "'Secret correspondence, eh?' exclaimed the sovereign. "'Plots! Plots! Here you are, beginning to worry me again, as in the days of Pompadour!' "'No!' This is only a secondary matter. Let the culprit be punished, and that will end the affair. At the suggestion of punishment, Louis saw Jeanne furious and Chan up in arms. Punish? Without hearing the case? he said. I have signed quite enough blank committals to jail. A pretty mess you are dragging me into, Duke. But... What a scandal, if the first outrage to the princess is allowed to go unpunished, sire. I entreat your majesty, said the Dauphine. What? Don't you think the sword-cut was enough punishment? No, sire, for he might have wounded Lieutenant Tavernay. In that case, I should have asked for his head. Nay? said the Dauphine. I only ask for his banishment. Exile! For an alehouse scuffle! said the king. In spite of your philosophical notions, you are harsh, Louis. 
It is true that you are a mathematician, and such are hard as, well, they would sacrifice the world to have their ciphering come out correct. Sire, I am not angry with Chevalier du Barry personally, but as he insulted the Dauphiness. What a model husband, sneered the king, but I am not to be gulled in this way. I see that I am attacked under all these blinds. It is odd that you cannot let me live in my own way, but must hate all whom I like, and like all I dislike. Am I mad or sane? Am I the master or not? The prince went back to the clock. Choiseul bowed as before. No answer, eh? Why don't you say something? Do you want to worry me into the grave with your petty hints and strange silence? Your paltry spites and minute dreads. I do not hate Chevalier du Barry, said the prince. I do not dread him, added Choiseul. You are both bad at heart, went on the sovereign, trying to be furious but only showing spite. Do you want me to realize the fable with which my cousin of Prussia jeers me, that mine is the court of King Petard? No, I shall do nothing of the kind. I stand on my honor in my own style and will defend it similarly. Sire, said the prince, with his inexhaustible meekness but eternal persistency, your majesty's honor is not affected. It is the dignity of the royal princess which is struck at. Let Chevalier Jean make excuses, then, as he is free to do. But he is free to do the other thing. I warn your majesty that the affair will be talked of, if thus dropped, said the prime minister. Who cares? Do as I do. Let the public chatter and heed them not unless you like to laugh at them. I shall be deaf to all. The sooner they make such a noise as to deafen me, the sooner I shall cease to hear them. Think over what I say, for I am sick of this. I am going to Marley, where I can get a little quiet, if I am not followed out there. At least I shall not meet your sister, the Lady Louise, there, for she has retired to the nunnery of St. Denis. But the Dauphin was not listening to this news of the breaking up of his family. "'It is going,' he exclaimed in delight, real or feigned, as the clock resumed its regular tickings. The minister frowned and bowed himself out backward from the hall, where the heir to the throne was left alone. The king, going into his study, paced it with long strides. I can clearly see that Choiseul is railing at me. The prince looks on himself as half the master, and believes he will be entirely so when he mounts with this Austrian to the throne. My daughter Louise loves me, but she preaches morality, and she gives me the go-by to live in the nunnery. My three other girls sing songs about me, and poor Jean... The Count of Provence is translating Lucretius. His brother of Artois is running wild about the streets. Decidedly, 
None but this poor countess loves me. Devil take those who try to displease her. Sitting at the table where his father signed papers, his treaties, and grandiloquent epistles, the son of the great king took up the pen. I understand why they are all hastening the arrival of the archduchess, but I am not going to be perturbed by her sooner than can be helped. And he wrote an order for Governor Stainville to stop three days at one city and three at another. With the same pen he wrote, Dear Countess, this day we installed Zamor in his new government. I am off for Marley, but I will come over to Lucienne this evening to tell you all I am thinking about at present. France. La Belle, he said to his confidential valet, away with this to the Countess, and my advice is for you to keep in her good graces. End of chapter 17. Recording by John Van Stan. Savannah, Georgia.